was listening to a podcast recently, uh, the, the past, I don't know, it was past, a couple weeks ago, where it was a group of pastors, and they were on this podcast, they were talking about theology and biblical literacy, and then in the midst of this conversation, one of them made this kind of, it was almost like an out-of-the-nowhere kind of comment that really got me thinking. This, this pastor said this, he said, our generation has lost its sense of seriousness, and they started to talk about this. They started talking about previous generations tended to, they used to take things more seriously. Life had a, had a serious edge to it. Growing up and becoming an adult had a serious edge to it. Now, now we kind of, we downplay that and we talk about how hard adulting is, right? Like, I just can't adult today. Work, raising kids. There was a seriousness to it. There was, there was a seriousness to, to even volunteerism. Where you, right, where you jumped in and you volunteered with, with things like the Red Cross, like Megan did, or, or local, you know, local initiatives in our, in our city. There was, it was taken seriously, and, and we seem to have lost some of that. And I'm not, I'm not sure why we do this. And I don't know if you, if you realize, but pretty much all of those uh, memes that I showed, were of, they, were, they were serious things that as a culture, and me personally, I mean, I'm not going to lie, some of those things were really funny. right? But we took these serious things... And we, we, we almost dumbed them down, took this serious edge off them, and we made light of them. It seems like we've got this, this thing within our current culture, within our current generation, where, where we make light of various serious things. And I don't know why we do it. I don't know if it's a coping mechanism, because this is like, unlike any other time in history, we've got more information coming at us from around the world and some of it, is, it's, it's, it's serious, it's horrible, it's traumatic, it's, it's troubling. But we have more access to information about what's happening around the world than we ever have before. You used to have to wait till like 5 o'clock at night. And from 5 until 6, that's when you got your news information. And outside of that, you read your newspaper and things like that. But, you know, when it hit the newspaper, chances are it was at least a day old, if not multiple days old. Now, like, like literally on my phone, I've got, I've got like Apple News and it's telling me like breaking now and like things are happening and as they are unfolding, they don't even have the whole story and I've already got the headlines, right? And so I don't know if this is a coping mechanism to trying to deal with, with all of this stuff that's coming at us or if it's just a characteristic of our, of our current generation. Well, we have this, this lack of seriousness in, in culture has seeped its way into the church. See, as a church, as followers of Christ, we are not immune to the culture of the world if we are not diligent in conforming to the culture of the kingdom. See, if I am not diligent... In, in applying myself to the kingdom of God, and, and, and literally it's, it's more like applying the kingdom of God to my life and conforming my life to, to scripture, to the ways of Jesus, to the Holy Spirit. And if I'm, not, if, if I'm not diligent in conforming to the culture of the kingdom of God, then I will conform to the culture of the world. The week before Christmas, I spent some time during the week um, and I was, I was in our prayer room. And I was praying. I was, I was seeking God. And Holy Spirit started to speak to me. And he led me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And he took me to the last three or four verses of that chapter. Oops. And as I was reading verses 24 to 27, I felt like 
like, it, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I, I felt like, like Holy Spirit balled his fist up and punched me straight in the stomach. And as I was reading, it was like the, it was like I got winded and the air was like, like, like sucked. I got the, the, the wind knocked out of me. And I'm reading through these verses and I, and I come to verse 27 where, where Paul is saying, I want to make sure that after preaching the gospel and leading people into the kingdom, that I myself am not disqualified. See, Paul, Paul was fully aware of the possibility that he could do great things for Jesus, but not actually do things with Jesus. Right? He, that he could, he could actually accomplish some incredible things for God, but not actually live for Jesus. And in the end, find himself on the outside looking in. So in that moment, I was just gripped and rocked by the, the reality of the seriousness of following Jesus. Like, it's serious for me and for my life. It's serious for, 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 for our church, for the people that I lead as your pastor. It's, it's serious. It's serious for the people that we interact with, my neighbors, family members, people that I bump into on the street. I felt impressed as Holy Spirit was talking to me from that, that encounter with him to spend some time teaching on the seriousness and the weight of following Jesus. So in light of that, today we start a series that will, will lead us to sometime in February. And we've called it, This is Not a Game. Like what we're, what we're, do, what we're doing here is not, a, is not a game. And I know we tend to, like I said, take things that are serious and we tend to dumb them down and make light of them. But what we do here, this isn't a game. So let's read through 1 Corinthians 9 verses 24 through 27. It says, Do you not know... That in a race, all the runners run their very best to win, but only one receives the prize. Run your race in such a way that you may seize the prize and make it yours. Now, every athlete who goes into training and competes in the games is disciplined and exercises self-control in all things. They do it to win a crown that withers, but we do it to receive an imperishable crown that cannot wither. Therefore, I do not run without a definite goal, and I do not flail around like one beating the air, just shadow boxing. But like a boxer, I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached the gospel to others, I myself will not somehow be disqualified as unfit for service. So Paul is, so the, the, the book of Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, this is actually a letter. Paul is writing a letter to the church in the city of Corinth and they call it, the people who live in Corinth are called the Corinthians. And so the, the, the Corinthians living in the city of Corinth Paul is using language that they understand very well. See, Corinth is in Greece, and the Greeks, they would hold four huge sporting competitions at various different places within, within the country, right? This is where we get the, uh, the origin of our Olympic Games. But in, in the beginning, it was called the Olympiad, and there was a series of four games that took place over a four-year span, and they used it for several reasons. One was to measure time. Time was like measured in these four-year blocks. Another, the other, one of the other things that they used it for was to, was to um, work the Greek culture into their people and into the places that they conquer, right? So they, the, the, this Greek culture was continually being worked into society, from these Olympiad games, huge celebrations. This is why he says to them, do you not know? Do you not know that in a race all the runners, win, like they run to win? 
They all race to win. He says, it's, it's, it's rhetorical. Of course you know because you've watched the games. You've, you've watched. This is, this is part of your, your cultural DNA. And so he's reminding them of what was culturally ingrained into them and then making an application out of what they knew from culture to their spiritual lives. See, in the games, in all real, really true athletic competitions, there can only be one winner. Not everybody wins. Every athlete who trains and competes, they do so with the mentality that they can and should be the winner. Right? For every athlete, everything that they do is done so that they can win. And some of them take it too far and they break the rules and they cheat, but all they're trying to do is win. Everything is done to win. Now, when our kids are, are small, when they're little, right, they, they, play, they play soccer or they play, you know, t-ball, right? They, they do it to have fun, right? They, it's, it's not all about the winning when they're four years old. It shouldn't be all about the winning when they're four years old. You know, sometimes you'll have the parent that's on the sidelines at their four-year-old soccer game and he's screaming his head off. At that age, it's just about having fun. It's about learning life skills. It's about learning how to play on a team, right? But once, you, once, once kids kind of move out of that initial, you know, learn, learning to play and life skills and having fun where, where they don't really keep score, nobody wins, which is a conversation for another day. But once, you, once they move out of that, then it's about the winning, right? Nobody has fun when you're losing. If you've ever played sports and you were on a losing team that lost a lot, and I was on a few of those when I, was, when I was a kid. We lost a lot. It's not fun. Practice isn't fun. Games aren't fun. Driving to the, to the game isn't fun. Driving home isn't fun. It doesn't matter you know, how much ice cream you, you eat afterwards. You still lost and it was brutal. Winning is fun. right? That's, that's when fun is had is when games are won. And the most fun is had was when, when championships are won. Like I don't, I don't watch all, all sports. If you, if you don't know, I, I'm, I'm a hockey fan, so I follow hockey. Like, that, that's, that's my thing. But whenever there's, like, the championship moment of, of, of any sport, whether it's the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, I always love to watch the moment when the team has won. Because the, just the, the, the jubilation and the, the, the excitement and the happiness as like equipment is flying up in the air. And they're like, we're talking grown men who are 30 and 40 years old. They're jumping, they're laughing, they're crying, they're hugging each other. Sometimes they hit the ground. And I, I love watching the celebration because winning is fun. Paul says, run your race. We are all in a race. See, the moment... That, that you and I, we said yes to Jesus, the race began. The difference between our race, what Paul is talking about here, and if you're in a running race, an actual athletic competition, is that we don't compete against each other. Right? You're not running against me as you follow Jesus. I'm not running against you. Our church, we don't compete against the church down the street. We, as Paul says, we run our race, run your race. Each one of us is responsible to run the race in front of us. I have to run my race. I'm responsible to, responsible to fulfill my purpose. I'm responsible to be obedient and faithful to call of God on my life. See, that's what I'm going to answer for when I stand before Jesus one day. Was I faithful to him? Was I obedient to him? Did I run my race? I'm not going to answer for whether or not Jonathan ran his race. 
Jesus isn't going to ask me, like, hey, did Jonathan do what I asked him to do? He's going to be focused on me. And so when you stand before Jesus, he's not going to ask you, did your pastor run his race? Did your parents run their race? How were you, how were you raised? He's going to look at you and say, did you run your race? Were you faithful to me? Were you obedient to me? We don't compete with one another. We don't compare ourselves with one another. We don't measure ourselves against other people. If you, if you really, and, and I know so, like, it's, it's, a, it's almost a personality thing sometimes. When you, if you really want to measure yourself up to somebody, measure yourself up to Jesus. Right? That's the standard. That's, that's really the only person that we should be measuring our lives against. So you don't live your life with your eyes on my life. Each one of us must take personal responsibility for fulfilling the call of God on your life. It's an individual race to run. Even though, like, it's an in, on, like on one hand, it's an individual race to run, we run together. I have to run my race, but at the same time, we run together because... Following Jesus isn't done like on an island. Like you don't do it alone. When you follow Jesus, we do it together, right? You say yes to Jesus and you, you, are, you, are, now, you are now the church, right? The church is not a building, a location that we go to. The church is the people that sit in the, in the building at the location. We are the church. So when you say yes to Jesus, you're instantly part of the church, and what, what this is, is we are doing life together. We are a community of followers of Jesus that do life together. So we run together, not against each other. I'm not responsible for you. You're not responsible for me, but, but we run together. I take personal responsibility for my life. So Jesus gathers people into churches so that they can do life together. We can learn from each other. We can encourage one another and we can grow together. And each church, just like each individual person, each church has a purpose that that church was, was planted and birthed and, and, and given a purpose by Jesus to fulfill. And you are a part of fulfilling that purpose for whatever church you attend. If you, call, if you call this church, our church, your home, then you are a part of fulfilling our purpose as a church. So you're a part of responsible for fulfilling your purpose and then our purpose as a church. Not only that, but we, we help fulfill that purpose in other people. See, our purpose, our mission is empowering people, fulfilling destiny and leaving legacy. That's our mission. That's our purpose as a church. So we focus on what God has called us to do. Not on what God has called Journey to do, who's on the other side of the eight. Not what God has called Foothills to do, who's, who's over, you know, uh, off, the, um, off the 67. In, in El Cajon, not on what LifePoint is, is called to do on, on the other side of the village in La Mesa, although we're friends, I'm friends with all of these pastors, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not comparing myself to what any of these other churches are doing. I don't look at them and be like, man, look at what they're doing. We should be doing that as a church. No, I'm encouraging them to fulfill the purpose and the call on that church as we run and we fulfill our purpose in our church. We have our own race to run. So we run our race so that we may win the prize. So the question has to be asked, how do you win? How do I win the prize in following Jesus? Finish your race. That's how you win the prize. It's not how fast you finish, it's if you finish. 
See, I'm sure we probably all know somebody that started their race, that said yes to Jesus, and somewhere along the way, they stopped. And they just walked away. And I'm not talking about people that were maybe a part of our church and then they started going to another church. I mean, if you go to another church, you you haven't left Jesus, right? Like you're still serving Jesus. You're just at the church in the next city over or whatever the case might be. But but literally people that were following Jesus and then something happened and they decided, you know what? Nah, not for me. So you don't win the prize if you don't finish your race. Falling is acceptable. Crawling is acceptable. Crying is acceptable. Blood, that's acceptable. Sweat is acceptable. Pain is acceptable. Quitting is not. See, if you fall, get up. If you're crawling, you're still moving. Keep going. It doesn't matter if you're crawling or running or walking. Just keep going. If you're crying, cry. Let it out. Don't bottle it up. Just let it out. But keep going. If you're bleeding, bandage it. But keep going. If you're sweating, keep working. Don't stop. If you're in pain, don't let that pain prevent you from following Jesus. Because it doesn't matter whether you're doing life here in a church or or in a community or in a family. When you're doing life with people, you're going to get hurt. Listen, you're going to get hurt in church. You're going to get hurt outside of church. Right? But you don't stop doing life. Right? You're going to get hurt at work. But you don't stop working. If you stop working, you live on the streets. It's not really an option. So if you get hurt at church, work it through. Right? Work it through. Work out your differences. But don't stop. Don't quit. If you don't quit, you win. Run your race. That's the first thing Paul told them. Then he said this, train to win. Train to win. See, in in the Olympiad Games, the athletes competed to win a garland or this crown of leaves. And depending on the game, um, depended on what that was made out of. So sometimes it was made out of like pine branches and stuff. And sometimes it was made out of rosemary and different things. These things are, like, they, they literally were perishable. They just die, right? Like, if you buy flowers for someone, give it a week or so, and they shrivel up and die, they go in the trash. That's what these people, that's what these athletes were competing for. They disciplined their lives. They trained their bodies. They sacrificed. They exerted self-control to win a prize that would one day, literally within a matter of days, shrivel up and die, and they would throw it away. Today, athletes, they do it to win championship rings, they do it for the fame. They, they sacrifice it all for those things. But you know what? Rings can be sold. You can walk into pawn shops and buy championship rings that athletes have had to sell because they've gone bankrupt. Right? The fame that, they're, that, they're, that they're, they're, they're competing for, fame is fleeting because someone, sometime, at some point, is going to come along, is going to be better. And then they're forgotten about. These things don't last forever. But athletes train like they do. They train to win. See, athletes must change their disciplines as they progress through levels of competition from early years into adults and and into the pros. 
if they want to win, they change their discipline as they go. Training regimens change. How you eat, it changes. The nutrition that you need changes. The skills work changes. Sometimes even style of play changes. See, what works, what works in, in lower levels of competition doesn't necessarily work against professional athletes and, 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 and men and, 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 and women, right? Adults, they don't work. But the athletes will continuously train to win. Go to the next slide for me. This is Dean. I grew up with Dean. Dean's about three years older than I am. We grew up in the same small Rocky Mountain town in, uh, in Canada. Dean, really good at hockey. Really good. Dean actually left the small town where we lived at the age of 15 and he moved away and moved to another, another province, another place in Canada because he was so good at hockey. Because the local competition was too easy. He could score goals at will and nobody could stop him. And even when he moved away, he played against like bigger, older kids. And he could still pretty much score and, and do, do whatever, he, whatever he wanted. He was just so skilled, so gifted, so talented. Dean ended up being drafted in the very first round of the NHL draft by the Chicago Blackhawks. And they picked him because he could score. Throughout all the, all the levels of, of hockey that he played in, right, every level, he was a top goal scorer. And that's why the Chicago Blackhawks picked him. And then when Dean finally got his chance to play in the NHL, you know what he discovered? He couldn't score like he used to. He had a decision to make. He could stick with what he knew. He could stick with what got him there, but would not keep him there because he could no longer do it like he used to be, like he, like he used to be able to. Right now, we're, he, he was playing far above everyone else. That's how, that's how you got to the NHL. But now everybody's good. And now everybody's elite. So what he ended up doing is he ended up changing the style that he played. See, if you're not familiar with, with hockey, there's four lines and they rotate throughout the game right? Generally speaking, lines one and two, those are your scoring lines. They have the most talent on them. They will score the goals. They're your superstars. They are like the elite of the elite. And then lines three and four, they're like your grinding lines. They're more defensive. They, they hit a lot. That's where you fight a lot, like, like those types of things. And so Dean was used to playing on lines one and two, but he changed his style and he started playing on lines three and four and he became a grinder. He became a defensive specialist. He did what he needed to do so that he could continue to play in the NHL. If he just wanted to score goals, he would have had to kind of regress, go into lower, lower, lower leagues, play overseas where, you know, they're not playing with the best of the best. Dean ended up playing 18 years and 966 games in the NHL because he trained to win. He disciplined himself to stay in the best hockey league in the world. Wasn't a goal scorer. He was a grinder. And he came within three wins of winning the ultimate hockey prize, the Stanley Cup. Three wins away. All because he trained to win. See, Dean said yes to the dedication and the sacrifice that it took to play at an elite level of hockey. But he also said no. See, he said no to distractions. See, there was, there was one time... Um, the, the, the owners locked the players out, so there was no hockey, right? So Dean usually wasn't around in the wintertime, but he was around. 
And, you know, me and, and some friends, we were going snowboarding. And we tried to convince Dean to come, to come snowboarding with us, right? Like, hey, like, you're, you're not playing, you're not, you're not working, like, like, come with us. And he said, no. He's like, we could get a call. It, literally, the words out of his mouth were like, I could get a call any moment to say we're going back to work. I've got to train. I've got to get ready. See, Dean refused to allow distractions that would take him away from his goal. He was training to win. Paul holds up the dedication of athletes as an example of what it takes to win a temporary prize. He says, look at them. Look, they train to win. And then he says, how much more should we train? How much more should we be dedicated to win something that is eternal? Not something that is, that's fleeting. Something that fades away. Something that's perishable. See, the reality is, those are just games. Hockey's just a game. Football is just a game. The Olympics, they're just games. This, what we're doing, this is not a game. We have to stop giving more weight in our lives to the temporary than we do the eternal. See, Jesus is worthy of my yes and my no. See, I say yes to Jesus in following him, in being obedient to his voice and faithful to the purpose and the call that he's given me in my life. I say yes to him in giving him my total surrender. My no, my no is reserved for the things that distract me away from Jesus, that, that distract away from the purpose and the call upon my life. Now, these, these things that distract, they're not always wrong. Sometimes they are, but they're not always wrong. They just don't add to my purpose. They're just not eternal in value. And so I save my no to those things that distract me away. My no is also reserved for, for things, that, things of temptation. See, because we have a very real enemy who very really hates us. He doesn't mess around. He's not playing games either. His, his whole job description, his mission, is steal, kill, and destroy. He's not playing around. I had a pastor that I worked with once. He, he did an entire message. This was basically, he just said this over and over. This is all I remember of the message. His entire message is, the devil hates you. The devil hates you. Literally, for like 30 minutes. There was other things worked in there, but they keep pounding that away. The devil hates you. The devil hates you. Right? So he will come in and he will, he will tempt you. And he will tempt me to try and get me to, to, to compromise my integrity, to compromise my character. Right? To lower my biblical standards. To no, longer, to no longer live like Jesus says that I should live. I'm like, you know what? This part of the Bible here, I don't really like that part. That's difficult. I don't, under, I don't understand. So I'm, I'm, you know what? just going to pretend that part doesn't exist right he tries to tempt me to lower my standards of biblical morality jesus is worthy of our yes and our no see this is a call for us as followers of jesus to train to win be disciplined have self-control in our lives take living for jesus seriously because it's not a side hustle and it's not a hobby jesus is life His purpose and destiny for me is a matter of life and death, literally. And I'm not, you know, you can say, be like, well, you're being a little dramatic. I'm not, right? It's literally life and death. Choose life or choose death. Choose Jesus or choose not Jesus. 
Those are, those are our, our only options. And now I can, I can or you can, we can complain and debate all day long about the options and about how we don't like the options, but guess what? We don't get to set the options. God does. And not, not only like, is this is a personal decision that I make, right? I choose Jesus, I choose life, or, or, I, or I reject Jesus and I choose death. That's a decision that I, that I make, that I have made, and that you make. But also, that, but also when, we, when we're fulfilling our purpose, when we, are, when we are running our race, when we run our race, what we do is we, we run alongside and we pull people into that same race because we introduce people to Jesus. We, 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 we go about and we, we heal the sick, we raise the dead, we cast out demons, we cleanse the lepers. Yes, these are the things that Jesus said that we should do, right? In the book of Mark, at the very last verses of the book of Mark, he says, do these things, yeah. right? And at the, at the end of Matthew, he tells his disciples and, and teach everybody the same things that I taught you to do. So these are the things that we're, we're supposed to be doing, introducing people to Jesus. We're supposed to be loving on people so that when they get loved on by us, they're like, oh my gosh, I've never experienced anything like this. What is this love of, of acceptance and, 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 and it just, like you, you see me, you know me, and you still love me, and you still like me. And then we get the opportunity to say, it's, it's not really me, it's, it's Jesus in, in me. This is what it's like to to have relationship with Jesus. And we, we pull people into that race. We introduce them to Jesus. See, it's, it's not just life and death in, for me and my choices, but it's life and death for the people that we know, the people in our families, the people we work with, our neighbors, the random strangers that we run into. It's life and death for them. I get the privilege to demonstrate how incredible a life following Jesus really is. Paul says, I train to win with goals in mind. He's like, I don't flail around like I've got no purpose. He's like, I'm not shadow boxing. He's like, no, I have a goal. I discipline my body because I have a prize that I'm after. We have to remain disciplined in our lives, continuously training ourselves in righteousness by reading the word, by submitting to what we read. By living the word of God, by being self-controlled and using our no to those things that distract and tempt us. See, if I just try to maintain where I am, and I, and, I don't, and I don't grow forward, I don't push into maturity, I don't grow in my walk with Jesus, I will eventually find myself dealing with apathy and complacency. Because it's, you can't just say yes to Jesus and sit down and be like, I'm good, this is just where I want to be. Jesus, you got my yes. I'm good. If you do this, you will open yourself up to apathy. Where you're just like, well, I don't really care. Ah, I'm a little tired. I'm not going to go to small group. I'm not going to go to church this week. I've got other things that I think I'd rather do. You know, and then you, you, you open yourself up to temptation. Because you're not leaning into Jesus. You're not pressing into him. And so that, that one that hates you, that wants to steal, kill, and destroy you, he comes and he's like, hey, do this. What about this? This is pleasing. It looks exciting. Maybe it is. But the end of that is, is death. See, you can't just say yes to Jesus and sit down and be like, this is where I want to stay. Run your race and train to win. And then Paul ends with, in my words, he says, don't cheat. Don't cheat. 
This is back to verse 27 where, where Paul says, I train like a champion athlete. I subdue my body and I get it under my control so that after preaching the good news to others, I myself won't be disqualified. See, in the original language that Paul is writing in here, to be disqualified means that you didn't pass the test. You're not approved. It was a term that was actually reserved for, for medals and for, for coins because, you know, what, what, what people would do, they'd try and cheat the system. They would, they would take, like, precious metals and they would melt into, into them, like, lower quality metals because things were done on weight. And so if you could, like, use less gold and more, like, crud metal, and, but it looked all gold, well, then you're, you're ahead, right? And so they would, they would test them and they would say, no, no, that's not approved. That's not, that's not pure. That's what Paul's saying. Imagine Paul. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament of the Bible. Paul planted churches. Paul, Paul performed incredible miracles through the power of Jesus. Raised up leaders. We, we are still today, thousands of years later, impacted by Paul. Imagine him being concerned with being disqualified. Paul was like super Christian. He was like super follower of Jesus, but he still was concerned with being disqualified. So what he's saying, there's no shortcuts to the finish line. Here's the, th here's the thing though, this is, what, this is important for you to catch. It's not really about what you do that matters. See, it's not what you did for God that passes the test that shows that you're approved. Because Jesus says something stunning in Matthew chapter 7. He says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, driven demons out in your name, and done many miracles in your name? And then I will declare to them publicly, I never knew you. He says it's only those that do the will of the Father that will enter the kingdom of heaven. But notice the will of the Father isn't measured in prophetic words given healings, miracles, demons cast it out. Even when it's done in Jesus' name, there will be people saying to Jesus, look at all that I did in your name. Look at the miracles. Look at, look at the people that came to my church. Look at the churches that we started. Look at, what, look at how much I gave. Look at all I did in your name. And he will look at them and say, but I never knew you. See, the will of the Father is for us to know Jesus, the Son. That's the test that we pass. We are not measured by the powerful things that we have done. But did we know Jesus? Being faithful and obedient is the mark on our lives of knowing Jesus. See, we have the tendency to look at people that are doing incredible things, that have great influence, that, that travel the world and, and they preach and they, they write books and, and, and they're being used to do miracles. And we tend to look at them and we, we lift them up on these pedestals and we're like, they must really know Jesus. Maybe. But I don't know their heart. But what I do know is that Jesus will do those things because he's honoring his name. Not because they actually know him. It's about the relationship. Don't cheat in your race. Because the point of running your race is knowing Jesus. And I cannot, we, we cannot allow a lack of discipline or self-control to train wreck 
our actually knowing Jesus. Because they open the door for us that will pull us away into apathy and complacency and temptation and compromise, which eventually leads to drifting away from knowing Jesus. We can't shortcut to the end by going through the motions and practicing a lifeless, relationless religion. Now listen, some of these things, they're, they're like truths held in tension. Because in the book of James, it says, um, faith without works is dead. Right? You can't just sit down, like I said, and say, well, I've got faith. Because you see faith by what you do. Right? So there's that tension. It's not, it's not about what you do, it's about knowing Jesus. But when you know Jesus, you do things. Right? I know it's, it's, it's complicated, but it's really not. See, there is an eternal crown waiting for you when you run your race. When you train to win. And when you don't cheat. But that eternal crown, that's not really the prize. Because we don't do this for the crowns and the rewards that we will receive when we meet Jesus in heaven. Because the Bible is very clear, and we'll talk about it over the next few weeks, that there are rewards for what we do with Jesus here now in this life. We are rewarded when we get to heaven for what we do. Jesus is the prize. It's not the reward. It's not the crowns. It's Jesus. There's a picture in the book of Revelation where um, there's 24 elders that surround the throne. And many theologians believe that the 24 elders, they actually represent us, saints, followers of Jesus. And there's this moment, this picture, in, in this incredible you know, moment of worship where the elders stand and they take off their crowns. These are the rewards that they were given for what they did with Jesus when they walked the earth. And they lay them down. And they lay them at the feet of Jesus. And what, what, what it's saying is, Jesus, you're the real prize. It's not the crown. It's you. Jesus is the prize. Everything we do does not match the greatness of knowing Jesus. I really feel strongly like that this is a prophetic call to our church. It's time to get serious. And I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying I'm looking out at our church and we're, we're taking things lightly. And, 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 and No, I felt, I felt Holy Spirit. I felt God say something to me. And I want to share that. So maybe you're here and maybe you're like, man, I do take this seriously. I see it. Then I want you to keep going. Or maybe as I'm talking, you're like, you know what? I haven't been taking this seriously. I've, I've, I've prioritized other things in my life over Jesus. And I just kind of, Jesus is like my tag along buddy. Like wherever I go, he goes. And that's not really the way that it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to follow him. He doesn't follow me. And you're sitting here thinking, I haven't been taking it seriously. Then this is the prophetic call of Holy Spirit to you to say, wake up. It's time to take it seriously. Run your race. Train to win. And don't cheat. Because there are people's lives at stake here, yours included. I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask that our, uh, our ministry team, we've got people that we've said, hey, we'd like for you to pray for people. And if you've been, you've been asked, and I want you to come, your badges are on the, on the front row. I want you to come and stand across the front here. You don't have to wait, you can come now. If you're here today, and you're like, 
yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to take it seriously. Or you're like, I am taking it seriously. And I'm, I'm, I, this is my commitment. This is what I want you, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Because doing this, doing this takes courage. Doing this, you have to be brave and bold to follow Jesus. If you're saying, yep, I'm taking this seriously, or I want to take this seriously now, I just want you to stand where you are. Just stand up. No one's looking around. This is just, this is, this is between you and Jesus. This is part of that individual run your race, but that we just get to do it together. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would pour out your presence upon every person that said, yes, I am, I am ready to take it seriously. I am ready. And I pray that you would release encounters with your presence over them. I pray that they would know you as they, as they read through their, their, their Bibles, that it would come alive to them and that they would know you. God, that they would do incredible things, not for you, but with you, in partnership with you. God, that you would use them to see people come into relationship with Jesus. That you would use them to do miracles, healing the sick, signs and wonders, raising the dead, cleansing lepers, healing cancers, seeing addictions broken, going to the broken, the hurting, the lonely, the lost, and the outcast, and saying, I'm here for you. And loving people the way that Jesus loves us. Here we are, second Sunday in this brand new year. This is a significant year. Not just for you, for our church, but I really believe this is a significant year for mankind. This is, this is a year. And the prophetic call is going out saying, will you take following Jesus seriously?